Nazareth, I'm fucked up, homie, you fucked up. But if God got us, then we gon' be alright. Nigga, we gon' be alright. Nigga, we gon' be alright. We gon' be alright. Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We gon' be alright. Nigga, we gon' be alright. We are back with another episode of Broken Records. This your boy, Rated Rashawn. What's good, y'all boys? It's your boy, Marquise. q I'm not going with the Kendrick expert now, because y'all should know by now who I am and what I'm coming with. <laughs> it's your boy, Easy, and this dick ain't free. I mean, dick. Eric, Eric. <laughs> we said we're going to stop being horny in 2020 now. Stop it. <laughs> oh, cow. Uh, we definitely uh gonna take a trip back to when when did uh Tipping Butterfly drop? Twenty fifteen? What a time to be alive. That was a good year, man. Twenty fifteen was a great year. Well, good and bad year, you know, a lot of you know racial tension was going on that year also. That's every year. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna do that every year, honestly. <laughs> Well, I feel like it's a lot more. If I had to compare any other year to like right now, it would probably be 2015. Like as far as like the Trayvon Martin um, thing that was going on, the riot and the stuff like that in Baltimore. So, and this album couldn't have come at a better time. It's almost like the album was made for a time like this, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean this. This was right around the time of uh, Mike Brown too, if I'm not mistaken, right? Oh, and, Ferguson. Uh, Ferguson, yeah. Yeah, that was actually a really crazy time too. I think Ferguson was like up in flames and Wasn't like that twenty fourteen or something like that. I think so. Yeah, it, this I, if if we're mistaken, we apologize, but I know this is somewhere around that area. So this this album definitely came uh, in great time. Well, for I hope everybody listened to it back then, but they can still listen to it now because it still holds relevance. So that's a good thing. Right. The thing about the album is that it's still relevant. Like you just said, like the fact that the album still applies and can still be, you know, we can still take things away from it to this day is why it's probably considered uh, one of the greatest rap albums of all the time. I know Eric, um, you doing his research and stuff like that. What, uh, what did the accolades look like, Eric? Can you say it one more time? What did the accolades look like? Like what is like what all like awards and like nominations did to them Butterfly receive? All right, so let's just start. That in its first week it sold three hundred and twenty-four thousand copies. Stop. Say that. Three hundred and twenty-four thousand copies in the first week. I don't think people understand how much that is. Right. (laughs) No, seriously. Like this isn't. These aren't streaming numbers, like necessarily. These are how many times this album was bought, like in units. If I'm reading this correctly, so like that's, hey, that's one week. Okay. On top of that. It debuted at number one on the Billboard 200, and it also Billboard. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, debuted at number one on the UK Billboard as well. So you number one in two different two different countries, countries, continents, all that. <laughs> right, and I think it won eight Grammy uh, nominations too. Like it came back with eight Grammy nominations, and like like you said earlier, like the album really speaks for itself. I think it uh, was what is considered like what. Um, greatest album of all time something on like either complex or something along those lines it like was, I think Rolling Stone uh, they did their uh, top X albums of the last decade or whatever September Butterflies in like top 30 if I'm not mistaken timeless oh it no I'm sorry it's number 19 so out of the 500 greatest rap album uh, great, greatest albums of all time which means it spans over multiple genres September Butterfly is ranked at number 19. Right. And would you, when I listen to this album, it had like a lot of jazz and, you know, blues and Southern, you know, um, influence on it. Cause a lot of it is like the probably beforehand, good kid, mad city section 80. Like you could tell those like very hip hop and rap, like concentrated albums. But this one, he definitely like gave a different spin on it. And I don't know about y'all, but I feel like he couldn't execute it any better. I feel like, well, you know, like the background information regarding this album is that uh, Kendrick was really inspired to do this when he uh, went to South Africa. And I feel like he was able to kind of get a sense of where his culture kind of originated from. And in doing so, I believe he used like the jazz, the soul, spoken word and stuff like that as like the root basis of this album. I feel like that's why you have so many of those like incorporated styles throughout like, multiple songs um, like For Sale or Mama or just stuff you or just songs like that. 
Yeah, I think uh, I'm always, I always look at production of an album. That's just like one of my favorite things to do. But I think that the production that went into Tim Butterfly, you could just tell it was just a bunch of people hands-on this project. Like This project just wasn't something Kendrick just did by himself or just did like locked up in a studio and didn't want nobody to listen to it or nothing. I feel like he had a lot of input and a lot of help with like from like oh you know like other sources or whatever but like y'all saying the production go crazy like i don't mean to jump ahead but like on the first song wesley's theory yeah, like yeah. every nigga is a star like that's that came from a soundtrack from a film by uh i can't remember his name i think his name like lockhart or something like that but it came from a film like that first <laughs> part of the song like nobody's like and i think that film was from like 1974 or 1964 or something like that so you know, it's 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 interesting that you say like this feels like like that song, uh, the snippet came from a film or whatever, because this album spans to me an hour and a half. And I was thinking this the other day, like if you compare this to other uh, albums like Damn or whatever, like I feel like you're watching like a TV episode, you know what I'm saying? Like a little thirty minute special, or whatever. This yeah. feels like a like almost like a saga or something. Like there's just so many stories being told. Like it reminds me of like if I'm sitting there like watching the Star Wars prequels or whatever, like you're watching it from beginning to end. Like it's not just nothing quick. You're seeing different perspectives, different lies, different stories being told. And for Kendrick to really, like, kind of constitute that in 2015, and it still has, like, relevancy to 2020, like, you couldn't have scripted it any better. And Q, I believe you said, like, was it this album that won a Writer's Award? Uh, Damn won a Writer's Award. Okay, well, this definitely set up Damn uh, for him to get that award, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, it won a Rap Album of the Year, I think, in 2015 or 2016, so it got Rap Album of the Year. Yeah, the Grammys. You know what I mean, so... Bruh, I just think that to be able to, like, if this album didn't put Kendrick on the map, then I don't know, like, what would it have taken for people to really understand Kendrick. I felt like Good Kid, Mad City, like, people, like, was looking at him. Butterfly, people was like, oh, shit, this nigga the truth. You know what I'm saying? And I then like that even, really got, like, an OG stamp, to be honest, though. <laughs> bruh, bruh. I think um, soon after he made his album, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, like they all crowned him like the king of the West Coast or something like that. Y'all remember that? I do actually. Like he had uh, Dre producing, he had Snoop featured on some of these songs. So I feel like the boys just like for the little snippet that they were able to contribute to, I think that was enough for them to give him that uh, acknowledgement. Yeah, but just uh, going into um, what Sean was saying uh, with the first song, Wesley's Theory. Um, a lot of people, um, like you said earlier, Sean, like every nigga is a star that came from like the famous film. But the song title is actually uh, alluded to or like paying homage to Wesley Snipes, the, you know, famous black actor that um, unfortunately uh, committed tax fraud and was, you know, in prison for, I can't remember how long he was in prison for, but basically it's an old saying that um, the idea behind Wesley's theory is that people get all these fames and these riches and stuff like that, and they feel like they make their way out of, you know, in, uh, institutionalization and like being incarcerated but actually those things bring you closer to it if you don't use it in the right way so it just it was just like funny to me how that was the first song of it like if you making a song about getting incarcerated for tax fraud then you can already tell like the rest of the album is gonna it's not he's not gonna shy away from nothing if that's the first song that's what I'm trying to get at absolutely I agree and then even going into the next song for free um, which there's no coincidence that For Free is the second song. And there's also another song in here called For Sale. And pretty much what those two songs are like. And both of those songs are interludes too. I think Kendra Lamar said in an interview that uh, For Free probably like is one of the one of his personal favorite songs off the album because just the meaning behind it, basically saying that um, everything costs. You know what I'm saying? Whether it costs you uh, physical money, whether it costs you your time, whether it costs you um anything in particular like nothing is free and that's why like song title is for free with a question mark you know what i'm saying yeah and then even going into the next song king kunta like the first three songs are hard-hitting songs are like deep meaning songs and we pretty much know the history behind kunta kente you know the slave that was captured in the um novel series and the movie roots and it's kind of like an oxymoron to King Kunta. Like, when you think of a slave, you don't think of him being the king. But Kendrick's pretty much saying that I'm a king in my own way. Like, I was brought up the same way. Or not the same way, but 
I'm a descendant from my ancestors. I'm a descendant from slaves, but I can still claim the title as king, you know, no matter what society says or no matter what, you know, anybody else says about me. Like, it's a play on words, per se. And, you know, you can say that how you want it, but that's personally how I feel. And that's my interpretation of that song, King Kuta. Well, Q, do you feel like, in a sense, Kendrick Lamar is still admitting that when he first himself as King Kuta, that he's admitting that he's a slave to the industry? But in that same... In that same breath, like he's still on top, like in his lane as being a, like an artist. Yeah, I definitely feel like I don't. I ain't saying he is a slave at the moment, but I feel like he definitely wasn't slave to maybe the riches that came with the fame, or like the the lifestyle, the partying, the drugs, the women, the you know everything that came with you know being famous. So I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, like, yeah, I think you hit on the head. Honestly, like he probably wasn't slave to all those things. And like I said earlier, like when you talk about Wesley's theories, like you think you get famous to escape those things but they bring you closer to what you're trying to escape for his life but i feel like he needed to experience these things in order to like be the person he is who he is today like think about Kendrick lamar never grew up in Compton. think about if he never went to south africa you know what i'm saying like who would he really be he wouldn't be Kendrick lamar so you can either take those experiences and let them mold you or let them fold you you know what i'm saying yeah i absolutely agree i i thought this was interesting too like Cause in this song, you know, he he always had like some references of like other, well, for famous black superstars such as like Michael Jackson. Cause you know, one of his tracks, he's like, "Eddie, are you okay?" Like that's like a Michael Jackson reference. I always thought that was kind of cool. And the uh, "We Want the Fuck," well, that comes from uh, uh, I think he was a West Coast rapper, but it, I think it was like a song he had like in the nineties or something like that. I always felt like that was kind of cool, like how he was kind of like. The song was called King Kunta, but he kind of like paying homage and putting these little excerpts of other uh, artists' music in that same song. So it's kind of like, you know what I'm saying? Like a play on words a little bit. I like how he did that. Yeah. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, isn't Pharrell, uh, does he have either production credits or was he actually on the album? Like, I don't know which one it is. Yeah. yeah he, actually, he has uh, production credits for the project. But interesting enough, he was actually on this song, King Kunta, like, he was actually on the song, like, on the hook, so that's that's, like, an interesting thing. A lot, a lot of people don't know that. And Pharrell don't fuck with a lot of people, so for Pharrell to hop on your production and then hop on your song, too, like, I'm not saying kids are good, but he, I mean, it pretty much says for itself whether he's good or not. Bro, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I ain't never nobody that be looking at nobody's pockets or nothing like that. But, <laughs> bro, if you look like, if you literally look at like the production lineup and the production list, like he got, bro, he got like bass players that play for Erica Badu. Like he got, like he got people that, you know what I'm saying, like normal people wouldn't have. So I know this ain't just, this ain't just because he put a check at the end of it. Like he, mm-hmm. he get these people because he's Kendrick Lamar. You know what I'm saying? No doubt. Isn't uh isn't Thundercat also got some production credits on here? I know Eric's a pretty uh, big Thundercat fan. He actually put me on a Thundercat. Yeah. So Thundercat was really the one that kind of held this whole production together. Like Kendrick was looking for that uh that sound to really finalize the album. So he was working with Flying Lotus and Flying Lotus put him on a Thundercat and from there it's history. Like you can hear his vocals uncredited and credited throughout the whole album. That is crazy. And I'm not trying to, like Sean said, I don't know pocket watch nobody in no grown man's pocket. You know, that's why, that's why I just don't, I don't stand by that code. But I feel like when Kendrick Lamar, like, initially probably pitched the idea uh, to be on his album, you know, some people might be hesitant. You know, a lot of rappers in the industry, like, you can send them a song and it may take forever to, you know, send back a verse or whatnot. But I feel like once uh, producers, uh, guitarists, lyricists, like anybody that Kendrick wanted to be on the album after like broke down the concept of the album, I'm pretty sure people that were asked, like, they kind of felt like it'd be kind of messed up if they didn't contribute to the making of this album, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, even going on to like the next song, Institutionalized, that song right there has so many meanings behind it, because if you look up the definition of Institutionalized, that uh, means basically that your something, an establishment, institution, or whatever, changes what you already have pre-believed, preconceived, or whatever, and makes you think of something different. Um, some examples of that would uh, be slavery. You can say slavery institutionalized African Americans or anybody that was, you know, in slavery. Uh, 
um, Jewish people, you know, uh, the Nazis and whatnot. Um, you can even say that the jail system, the prison system institutionalizes their uh, inmates because after they get out, they can't vote. They can't have certain rights. They can't, you know, move in the same way. So even military. So like when people go to the military, like you can say the boot camp institutionalizes them to eat at a certain time, to make their beds a certain time to be, you know, different kind of cleanliness. So institutionalized in that sense, you can almost think about what Ken is trying to allude to. And what I think he's trying to allude to is like how Compton institutionalized him to see the world different. I think uh, he was talking in one interview where he said he witnessed his first murder at five years old. So yeah. you just imagine what that would do to a kid mentally at five years old witnessing somebody die. And he said it was like right at the front doorstep. And I uh, like I remember because you had talked about this the other day, but um, the word institutionalized has a connotation of insanity. And sometimes, like, those who are institutionalized are taught that there's something wrong with them. But I think Kendrick might be alluding to something on a greater metaphor, like there's something wrong with the country and the way this government's run. Like, perhaps the institution itself is wrong, and they're teaching us the wrong stuff. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think he, I think he was, just with what you say, Q, and what you say, Eric, I think he was absolutely hitting the pedal uh, the needle with that one. But I also think he was referring to his himself and like his uh, his uh, being in the rap game, I think that's like how he was really like. Because you look at it, a lot of them be feeling like with the labels and them having to have to put out certain projects and certain times, and they be feeling like they're a little institutionalized too. So I think he was kind of, I think he was kind of talking about all those topics. To be honest, do you feel like I, I, I didn't think about that one, but I, you you might have hit that one on the head. I ain't gonna cap. <laughs> bro, that's what I think about, bro. I feel like he was like talking about like everything, like even this rap game shit, like this institutionalization. Like that's I feel like that's a, what Kendrick was really looking at it. No, I didn't think about it like that. What were you saying, Eric? Ah, shoot, I don't forgot. <laughs> and then institutionalized comes right, so it's kind of just like you know what I'm saying, like and then that's just how I look. Going off the fact where you're talking about um how he thinks about you know certain things, uh the next song, These Walls, bruh. That's probably like one of the best songs off the album, honestly. Just like the meaning behind it and whatnot. Absolutely. Shout out to like the visual crew that for that too. Like, I don't know if y'all have seen the music video, but the way Kendrick goes about talking the wall about walls and like what the metaphor metaphor for walls means. He also got the coon Terry Crews in there for a little skit and stuff like that. It was just a great little Great little music video to watch. Bruh, and then these walls has like three different meanings. Like, um, I think I'm pretty sure people that listen to the song, I even read the lyrics, can you know pick up what he's talking about with these walls. It is not literally meaning like the walls in the house, or the way he's talking about it or describing it in the song, he's talking about, you know, the walls of um a vagina. And I think throughout the song duration, you kind of pick up that he's telling the story about how he's having sex with his woman. Um, whose boyfriend or husband or whatever is in jail because uh, he murdered uh, either Kendrick's friend or best friend or something like that. And he's uh, attacking or like tasking revenge on him by, you know, um, having coitus with, you know, that, that, that young woman in the song. And he's also talking about the walls that, you know, are the walls in our own mind, like the brain, like how we may institutionalize ourselves and like have our own deep thoughts and like, you know, may make ourselves feel like a different type of way or like make ourselves feel like something is there when it shouldn't be there or whatnot. And these, these walls can also talk about, you know, prison walls and whatnot, like how the prison system, like I said earlier, like institutionalizes people and makes them think that they're less of human or like they shouldn't deserve anything more or like they belong to be always held in those walls. You know what I'm saying? So. That song right there is probably one of my favorite songs. Like it's almost like give you three doses of like the perspectives of like what you know people think about on a day to day basis. And next is my favorite song. <laughs> hold on, hold on, Eric. Before you, before you, before you jump to that song, I had to. You know, I got to talk about the production of this song, bro. Bro, like, I, what I was talking about earlier, I feel like he really was bringing that to life on this song. Like a lot of people, like. He had a neo soul artist on here, like from like the early 2000s. That a lot of us really wouldn't know, you know what I'm saying? Like SZA is on the background vocals to this song. A lot of people don't know that. Like 
Bro, he Stand really went deep in his bag with this song. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like this song was, it was different. Like, he, like, think about it. Like, I've never heard of Bilal, uh, B-I-L-A-L. I've never heard of him or her, so I don't know who that is, but apparently they were pretty good. <laughs> they were a pretty big neo-soul artist. You know what I'm saying? That's somebody that somebody's ears is not even, you know how much music you have to listen to to be able to bring all these ideas together? Mm-hmm. Too much. More than that. Speaking on, speaking on that, Sean, like one of the constant voices that you also be, see throughout this album, and that was on his previous album, is Anna Wise. You know, yes. like it's just kind of comforting to hear that same voice. I think she was on, uh, what was it, Diana Thirst um, from Good Kid Mad City. And to see her, I think she's got a few songs on here where she's featured. So it's just nice to see that too. Thanks. We're going into what you were saying earlier, Eric, like you say this is one of your favorite songs, the next one? Yeah, you. Why is it one of your favorite songs? If you had to say I feel like I feel like in this song, Kendrick became relatable to me. I feel like this song kind of sums up like the amount of pressures and anxiety that one might face. And it was like I think when he transitioned into like the sec, I think it was no, it was the beat switch. So it was the second verse after the uh, the break or whatever, and it's just like him talking about like, well, the lyrics basically say, "Are you the reason why mom and them leaving? No, you ain't shit. You say you love them, I know you don't mean it. I know you irresponsible, selfish, and denial can't help it." And it's just like, you know, I'm like I'm the type of person where I put a lot of pressure on myself. So hearing someone else articulate my words for me, in a sense, gave me some comfort because I just didn't feel alone. I know there are other people out here kind of like going through the same kind of struggles and pressures I have in my own head. And it, like I said, it was just comforting to see that Kendrick was able to uh, just articulate that for me. Kendrick said that this was one of his hardest songs he had to write or something like that. I remember I, I heard him saying something like that, he said. Because yeah, uh, yeah. like how much he had to put into it, like so much personal stuff that he put into it. You know what I'm saying? Right, he definitely said that. He said you always want to make a song like this, and it kind of reminds me of "Sing About Me." I'm dying of thirst. The way like the story goes on to like how he's always blaming himself for like the things that happen in his life and whatnot. And he said that he always want to make a song like this, but he never was able to execute in the right way. And uh, one of the producers, or like the producer that uh, assisted him producing the song, actually said that when Kendrick Lamar was in the studio making it in the booth, he said that Kendrick would have like different episodes, like. He would be screaming like out of nowhere, you know, for a period of time. And then one minute he'd be like rapping with the lights off. And next minute he, you know, just be doing like different stuff. And like, I think the guy said that it took him like maybe the course of like the whole night to record. And he said after they finished recording, he never asked Kendrick what was going on in the booth. Like after after they made the song. So that is probably like how deep. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Let me. This bag he was actually. Absolutely. Let me let me make one quick correction because I know somebody gonna be able to come at me when they were like, "That wasn't right." What you said, Scissor was on this song in the background vocals, not the previous song. So my fault, there, good brothers. Oh yeah. Hey, y'all. If we don't, if we're not learning, progressing, then we're not we're not being who we say we are. So look, you see, I don't take nothing to correct you. Right. If someone stops listening at that point, we're like, "No, no, Sean got it wrong." But don't continue to listen. <laughs> Bruh. But um, going deeper into the song, like even the first like couple of lyrics, "Loving You" was complicated. He's talking about how hard it is to like really love yourself. Like he's talking to himself. That's the whole purpose of the song. You like he's talking directly to himself, like you. Um, and then even going into like some of the lyrics, like uh, uh, um, Eric was like mentioned earlier. Like he was talking about how uh he still feels that fault for like the death of um, Dave's brother, you know, he uh, talked about it and Sing About Me, I'm Down at 30, he expands on a little bit more. Um, and actually, my uh, one of my favorite Kim Lamar uh, song lyrics from the song, you preach in front of 100,000 but never reach one. So that is, that's, that, that lyric right there, like, really cements, like, you have all these false idols, false prophets. I know J. Cole kind of referenced false prophets, you know, when he dropped the song. Um, and all these people that are meant to be our leaders or whatnot, but they're literally just telling us what they think we should do. They're not really putting themselves in our shoes and trying to like empathize and sympathize with us. So, what that says, like you preach in front of a hundred thousand, but you never reach one of them. I kind of like you can like even allude that to how Christianity and like how the church is formed in these days. Like you have this one person who sits in the pulpit and preaches in front of a congregation, and 
how often does the preacher or the pastor know like what goes on in these people's personal lives? Like he's just telling them, he's just reading off of what the Bible says. You know, he's not really, he could, or he may not be trying to like actually relate to these people. So when I thought about that, I thought about the whole Christian and uh, the church community and like the traditions that I feel like have done more harm for the black community and that has helped them. Yeah, I agree. I think about it like that, though. You didn't think about it like that, Eric? Not like, not like <laughs> in the sense of the pastor uh, misleading. Um, if I'm, if I'm interpreting what you said correctly, you said like the pastor might mislead as far as like in the black church community and how that might hurt them. Yeah, not, not really. I don't think he does it intentionally, but it's kind of like, like what. Cause you know, at the end of the day, like some pastors are all about like congregation, but some pastors are also about getting checked. You know what I'm saying? Like you get paid to preach. So some pastors yeah. may all be all be about the money, but other pastors may honestly and genuinely like care about the congregation. So it just goes to show like you have some of these pastors that like how many pastors or like how many preachers do you actually know that actually go around the pool that like, after they leave the pool, but actually go around and like talk to members and whatnot. Like that probably doesn't happen in, like a real big church, but you see all these big churches get glorified. And stuff like that on TV and whatnot, but how many of these pastors really know the first names on like know their congregation on a first name basis? That's what I think about when I like to think about this song. That's interesting. I can I can see why you would say that. But then the next song after that, all right, is a completely different opposite, you know, flip when it comes to the preceding song, you. you all right is like probably like one of the most joyful, uplifting songs that I probably heard. Ever in my life, it's like it's what we needed. Honestly, it's honestly what black people need. I think there was a. I don't know if they was trying to like sign a um a petition or a GoFundMe or whatever, but I know there was some speculation that they were trying to make this on a new national black anthem. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be mad if they chose it. To be honest, honestly, bro, we gonna be all right. Like that 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 first. That first lyric, we gonna be all right. Like, what is that? How does that make you feel? Like, it makes me feel that there's still hope tomorrow. And I know Eric's always saying uh, what he says in the end of the podcast. Uh, Eric, what do you usually say? Like, though sorrow may last at night, Joe will come in the morning or something like that. Hey, you, you hit it on the head. So you got it. <laughs> but basically, like I need that to song. It. <laughs> hey, like, hey, it resonated with me. You preached me. You actually reached me with it. So you actually did what you were supposed to do with it. I ain't gonna lie. Sure. But basically, like that song is just a joyful, um, just a joyful, uplifting song that gives people hope. I'm pretty sure in the midst of those times, like during the uh, Mike Brown, Trayvon Martin, uh, Ferguson, stuff like that. And I know a lot of people will, the media always has the way of interpreting things like the wrong way. I know Kendrick Lamar got a lot of backlash when he performed the song at a Grammy. He was standing in front of a, he stand on top of a police car, um, uh, performing the song, being like, I guess, real aggressive, but that was just him expressing himself. But Fox News uh, had the decency or the audacity, I'll say, to who? Fox News. Oh my god! <laughs> they said that they said that um that this one of the anchors said that this is the reason. Like after he performed the song, he said this is the reason I feel like hip hop music has done more damage to the black community than racism has in the past couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that is. That that comment makes zero sense. I don't even, <laughs> <laughs> bruh, That don't even like that don't even fathomably make sense at all. Right. Like not even a little bit. Hip hop music, racism. Like we like, think has done more damage. Bro, another thing. Another thing with this song, bro. I felt that Kendrick really wanted this song to be like he wanted this song to speak to the people, and he, I know he wanted it to be. He knew it had to have a certain sound for everybody to, you know, have a certain reaction when they listen to it. When he wanted everybody to listen to it, he wanted everybody to feel like, yeah, it's going to be all right. But if you look at, like, the production credits for, like, all the rest of his songs, he had multiple, like, producers that, or at least got credit for some of the songs. But with this song, he only gave, he only had one producer that had sole credit, which we most, most of us can't guess. It was Pharrell. Pharrell exactly produced this one song and he was on this song as well. You know what I'm saying? So that really shows why this song did so well. You know, he got Pharrell exactly producing. He like, oh, nobody else has on this one. Pharrell, this is all you. I feel like that's dope. Solidified. No cap. Yeah. And then 
bro. I just it's just so much good music we've been like you know tackling like so far. Like this is like probably halfway through the album, and he still got the other half of the album to go. Um, the next song for sale, like I already told you, like that's kind of like a, a double meaning with the interlude before that came before it for free. Um, and then the next song, Mama. This is probably like one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite tracks off the album because Mama just it references him like reminiscing on him reflecting on where he's come from and stuff like that. Uh, cause like we already like talked about it earlier, but I just reiterate, he went to South Africa 20 in 2014, the year before he dropped the album. And he said like a lot of the things that he saw there and a lot of the things that he took away actually like helped him produce his album. So that just goes to show you like how much influence he had from like outside sources, like how, I know he said in an interview, I think either with Zane Lowe or with somebody else, uh, that, he felt like it would be an injustice not to produce his album. You know what I'm saying? With everything that's going on, like how can he use his platform and not use it for good? That'd be really, that really would be like kind of messed up for like you to like get all these accolades and not like reach back into your community, like try to make a difference or at least be a voice for your community. So in that song, like mama kind of alludes to like different things. You can talk about, um, when you hear the word mama, you think about motherland and what's honest, what's, you know, consistently referenced as being the motherland, Africa and, uh, you can even like think about that as going to Compton. I forgot to make this point too. Like, there's a whole poem going on throughout the duration of the album. Like, it doesn't like he doesn't mention the full. Like, he doesn't go throughout the duration of the whole poem. Like, you know, in the beginning of the song. Like, every time something something like goes into the next song, a poem cuts off and then the song plays. And in this part, he uh, mentions that. So I'm running for answers until I came home. And then this song, Mama starts playing. So it's no coincidence when he talks about home. Mama, he could be talking about South Africa. He could be talking about Africa in general. Yeah, I think so. And he had a lot of, uh, I'll say, what I want to say, he had a lot of influence from Tupac about how he should make this album. I think he said Tupac came to him in a dream, or something like that, and said that he's the next one up and whatnot. And I think that. <laughs> Bruh. Bro, you know how these niggas gonna hate you just because you say something like that? <laughs> bruh, that's what I'm saying. And he just he just went on to say that, bruh, this is a nice song on his album. And in Tupac's album, Dear Mom is a nice song on that album as well. So if you think that Tupac didn't influence his album, then you're sadly mistaken. Bruh, is it, what, did it, the album, did it supposed to be Tupac or something like that? Wasn't that the, the original title? The Pimple Caterpillar. Yeah. Bruh. Tupac. Yeah, I, you forgot to mention that too. But yeah, it was supposed to be originally Tupac, which is to pivot caterpillar. But Kendrick Lamar said that he felt that the butterfly ending would have been more appropriate because he felt like himself was the butterfly in his community. Like he was able to escape the cocoon and fly out and spread his wings, you know, to you know eventually uh, be who he is today. So I felt like to pivot butterfly was more fitting. But if he would have had it as Tupac, bruh, the whole industry would have been shook. Bro, Eric, I also remember you breaking this up. Like he was, he kind of uh, was kind of making this in reference to kill a to uh, to kill a mockingbird, the book about uh, social injustice or whatever. So I feel like that was kind of cool too. Like to pimp a butterfly, to kill a mockingbird. I just feel like that was kind of interesting how he kind of tied that. And for those that aren't aware, it's like it's it said that it's a sin to kill a mockingbird, and so Kendrick's play on that is like it's a sin to enslave people. You know what I'm saying? Before you're a butterfly, you're a caterpillar in your cocoon. So the fact that you've been in, like cocooned and you're not able to kind of like move about freely, that should be a sin in itself. So, gotta think bigger and think deeper here, people. Sheesh. And we we really that, breaking the joint down. <laughs> and yeah. just on top of that, Q, you was talking about like uh, coming home and stuff like that after uh, Kendrick and Maiden and stuff. One of his recurring themes in this is survivor's guilt, which leads into hood politics. Um, mm -hmm. If y'all might be jumping into that, but hood politics is essentially talking about Kendrick coming home. And like the homies basically not really like like fucking with him in a sense. It was just like <laughs> like you 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 made it out. <laughs> you like you're not really one of us anymore. And so we he, we kind of see that trope kind of played out on TV and stuff like that. But Kendrick now recognizes that he's kind of in a different pedestal than his peers and contemporaries. And him just coming back home, you know, what I'm saying he's just dealing with that survivor's guilt as he's as he stated. Yeah, it definitely it definitely is a meaning behind like why his uh, tone changes too in the song because. And Mama, he has, like, more of a adolescent tone. Like, he's talking in a perspective where he, like, feels now. But in hood politics, he's talking in the higher-pitched tone where 
you can assume he's talking in a reference to where he was in the hood. So if you think about it, mama was him looking back in the hood. Hood politics is him talking about him being in the hood. You know what I'm saying? So And it he, sounds like, like he's trying to defend his case too. Like when you like whenever somebody typically gets in a high pitched voice, like they're defensive. And so like with the chorus, Kendrick's like basically saying, I've been A one since day one, you niggas boo boo, your homeboy, your block that you're from, boo boo. Like he's just basically saying like he was there seeing all these things. Like he said, I hopped out the cat, he just got my dick sucked. The little homies called and said the enemy's done clicked up. Like he's trying to say oh, like true. <laughs> he said, I was with y'all, I know I left, but like Compton never left me. That's what I feel like he's trying to uh, reiterate here. Compton uh-huh. never left me, bro. That's crazy, bro. Why? Why do people not think Kendrick can't rap? Like, I think about like when I think about Kendrick Lamar, I think about how people just spending Jimmy Butler. Not trying to like change the soap, but like you know, Jimmy Butler said that people actually don't think he play he can play basketball. Like, That's like, true. Though. That's down. true. Yeah, they didn't think like he had like he. I think he was like average size. He didn't. He had just a D three offer, then was able to transfer to Marquette and stuff like that. But it's just off of. Like it's not necessarily, but his, well, I guess the way they correlate is that the talent that they persevere and they've got skills, like they put time into their craft, and so I feel like that's where that symmetry, uh, kind of parallels between the two. That symmetry kind of parallel. That man over there speaking geometry, in Well, they do a bad. No, The next song, um, if I can go and jump into the next song, uh, how much a dollar cost? That. This is probably like one of the best songs off the album. Like if I had to equate it to any other song, like Sing About Me, I'm Dying of Thirst was a song for Could Get Mad City. Uh Fear was a song for Damn. And this song, uh, How Much a Dollar Cost, will probably be the song, in my opinion, for Tipping Butterfly. And if you just if you just listen to the song like all the way through now, you have to listen. You can't hear it. Like some of y'all been doing with other music. You gotta actually listen to it. <laughs> it tells the story of how Kendrick Lamar, um, go to a gas station, like, you know, how we all do. Basically, like, talking about how he is in Compton, basically. He goes to put uh, $20 in uh, on Pump 6. He actually reiterates himself, I guess, the bank, or not the bank, but um, the cashier lady didn't hear him. But while he's trying to do this the whole time, a homeless man who Kendrick Lamar assumes a crack at it asking for a dollar. That's, like, the reoccurring theme, like, you know, how how can this old man constantly pursue and get a dollar out of Kendrick? And, you know, Kendrick, like, we all do sometimes. I'm not going to lie. I do it. Like, when people ask you for money or even a dollar, like, you know, it's easy to simply ignore them. But with this guy, it's kind of different because he's consistently pursuing Kendrick, asking him, you know, for the dollar. And eventually, Kendrick decides to go back in his car or whatnot. But something tells, you know, Kendrick, as he says in the lyric, I'm not making this up, he says that something tells him not to pull off on the, um, from the spot yet. And the guy still uh, pursuing him, trying to get him to give him a dollar for whatever he needs a dollar for. Um, and then Kendrick goes on to say that, bro, I worked so hard for my money, what I look like giving you a dollar when I've like earned every rich that I've earned like off the muscle. And the guy, this is the first sign that this guy maybe not who Kendrick thinks he is. He says, uh, have you read Exodus 20? And pretty much the meaning or like the overall picture Exodus 20 is, uh, Basically saying that a dollar doesn't equate to how much money you actually have. Like a dollar is symbolic to you giving up your time, you giving up your patience, you giving up anything sacrificial for something that you may not be able to get in return, but it's just you making that sacrifice, you know, to give somebody else something that you won't possess anymore. And you all know Kendrick Lamar, like I'm pretty sure Kendrick Lamar just doesn't have one dollar. You know what I'm saying? But this goes on to show like how selfish Kendrick has become. And his like pursuit of being famous, pursuit of being the best rapper, like how he's forgotten his true roots. And basically, long story short, I'm not gonna try to drag this out. Long story short is that the guy ends up being God. So the the homeless man, the crack addict that kind of thought he was, is actually God. And he told him that you not giving me that dollar costs you your place in heaven. And the song ends. You know what I'm saying? So it just goes to show that how much does a dollar really cost you? Does a dollar cost you? Uh, actual, you know, residual amount of a dollar, or does it cost you something more like your sanity, your uh, eternal life? Because you know you can't take money with you after you pass away, so like, what are you actually doing with the money that you have now? Like, do you see it as a way to elevate yourself, or do you actually see it as being a materialistic thing where, like, it equates to, like, your status or whatever, so that song right there just... Right, you know how pissed off I'll be if God tell me that? I would say, come on, Bro, but God was trying to, you know, get him to understand, like, bro, like, 
Are you sure you don't want to give me the dollar? Like, I'm telling you, like, it's only a dollar. <laughs> he was like, can't do it. Oh, God said, I can't let you in heaven. I'm sorry. No, that'll blow you. Yeah. And then even the song after that, Complexion, I'm pretty sure people can, there's really nothing deep behind that, but Complexion is really about um, attacking colorism in my own black community because, you know, we have the whole debate, dark skin, light skin, brown skin, you know, I love, you know, it, it really doesn't matter, like, what you like, but we're all black on the inside. And Kendrick said that when he went to South Africa, he saw all different kinds of complexion. But one thing that they all had in common was they were all black. And they knew that, and they still accepted each other. But here in America, um, you see that colorism is still a thing. And, like, people uh, still look at color as being, like, I'm not going to say a social status or, like, anything like that. But, like, you're, depending on your skin tone, pretty much, assumes like how you are like pretty much put some stigma some stereotype behind your skin color which is absolutely not true like everybody no matter what the color is is beautiful so that that song right there pretty much tackles colorism and like tries to i guess banish it or like whatever you want to call it and i think like i think one of the sadder things is that you see that more so played out in our own community um it's very unfortunate you know what i'm saying i feel like People go about looking for women, and they're like, "Oh, I want me a light skin, blah blah blah, or dark skin, blah blah blah." I feel like, I feel like it shouldn't be like that. I feel like you should actually look for some qualities that are actually going to last a lifetime and have value. You know what I'm saying? Like, what if someone's light skin, they get vitiligo or something like that? Okay, now they, now they white. Like, you just got to be able to fall in love with that person for who they are. That's how I feel about it. Bro, it's all a skin tone. Like your skin tone doesn't. I hate when people like. I hate when black. I hate light skin because they act like this. Like, what does a light skin act like? Like, how can you put a personality to someone's skin tone? That's my whole thing. And then even um, the black of the berry. Like you know um, Biggie Smalls was known for saying the black of the berry, the sweet of the juice, or whatnot. I don't even know like the whole meaning behind that song, but basically, I think he's trying to say like dark-skinned people are more violent or, like, more rowdy than, you know, uh, light-skinned people or whatever, like, the stigma behind that. And that just goes on to show that all this, all these accusations are false. Like, there's no way you can tie a personality trail, like, someone's characteristics to their skin tone. So, that just... All these songs have, like, different meanings behind it. And uh, you ain't gotta... Go ahead. I was gonna, I was gonna go to the next song that you had something to add. Nah, yeah, I, um, I always liked this song. I always thought that uh, he was kind of, like, bringing, like, he was kind of taking, like, you know, like, all the Trayvon Bart stuff. I feel like he was really just trying to, like, put that all and just, like, vent on a song. That's why I feel with this song. I feel like he was venting. And, like, just, you know, the Black and the Berry, just, you know, you know the saying. And, you know, with, like, black people, I really just feel like he was just attacking that and really talk about it and really venting about it. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes this, this music should just be therapy for a lot of them. So he probably was Probably tried to vent and probably was like, shit, this shit ain't good enough to put it down. Put it on there. <laughs> Do it right now. No cap. But then the next song after that, You Ain't Gotta Lie, um, Mama said, that song actually has like a lot of um, homage to the West Coast rappers Tupac and Ice Cube. I think they both have songs that kind of have a similar title. I know Ice Cube has a song that says, uh, You Ain't Gotta Lie. I think Tupac has a song called Mama Said, so he kind of like put both of the songs together to make this song. And basically what that's saying is that um, it, it's, it's kind of like a two-sided story where, like, people that make it to the rap industry, they have to feel like they have to, you know, fit a certain persona. Like, they have to always flash the money, always have to, like, be in the crowd. They always have to go to parties or whatnot. Just be this person that they weren't before just to fit the mold of the rap industry. And that's basically saying that, bro, you don't got to be nobody but yourself. Like, you yourself got you into the industry. So, like, why would you not remain yourself but... A lot of times you see these rappers and stuff like that kind of switch up, you know, better look at look the image of like, you know, what they're getting themselves into. But you're also looking on the flip side and like when rappers do make an incident in the industry, I know Eric alluded to this earlier, when you come back, you know, having a survivor's guilt, having survivor's guilt and then people not accept you already, you know, that kind of that already makes you like feel like you don't belong there. And I think what Kendra's trying to say is that you don't have to change who you are because of what I'm doing. Like I'm saying, I'm still the same person I always was, but for you to ask questions like, hey man, where the money at? Where the drugs at? Where the hoes at? Like, ask me where the hoes at to impress me. Ask me where the drugs at to impress me. Like, that meaning in itself is kind of like, why are you doing all this just to make it seem like you're somebody that you're not? And that song, it's even relatable to nowadays because like, you know how the popularity thing was like always big um, 
you know, in high school or whatnot. And I guess even with Greek Life, you know, how y'all went to school, like, you know, played our fraternities, like, a lot of people say that people that join Greek Life always switch up, and that's obviously not true. But some people may perceive it as that because, you know, you reach a different status or, like, you know, you do something different than you weren't normally doing. So I just find that song a lot more relatable than probably any other song, except for you. It's probably, like, one of the more relatable songs for me. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel like this song really just keeps you grounded. Like you ain't got to lie. Like, come on now, be yourself. If you ain't being yourself, then when you out here being somebody else, really you lying. Cause really, what's Bob saying? No cap. And then the song, um, I, I is like a completely opposite song of you. I know all right was like a completely different song to you. But I is like the completely different song than you because I goes on to say I love myself and the first lyrics of you was loving you was complicated. Like you see how like those things can like kind of be similar but they're complete opposites that you love, like opposites attract, obviously. And mm-hmm. I just like a more of a self love kind of take on like, you know, I love myself, like I am who I am, you know, I am a descendant of my ancestors, I am, you know, who I am and nobody else. And I have to love myself first before I can like even love my community and like love where I'm from because if you can't love yourself, how can you love anybody else? You know what I'm saying? True. So. It's also uh interesting with this too that this uh they use a sample for this song for what uh for one of the Osney brothers. Like they use one of those samples for this entire song. I always felt I thought that was kind of neat, like to be on this song. Cause if you think about it, this song was probably a, I don't know what to say. It was the biggest radio hit off the album, but it was it was it was up there. It was probably up there with "All Right," to be honest. It was his uh, first uh, single that he dropped for the album. Yeah, so it was it, it definitely was up there. And then uh, just touching on that, uh, Kendrick actually went to Isley Brothers. I think it was a uh, Ronald Isley, or whatever, and actually went in person to get his blessing because he felt like it was the only proper way to do it. And I think that he might have recorded this fresh for Kendrick. Like it wasn't just like an old sample. I read somewhere that he might have like actually got in the studio and gave Kendrick like a fresh verse. Yeah, they said that he uh, stretched it out because he said like the part that he wanted wasn't long enough. So he said he yeah. stretched it out for like three minutes, just like so he could make uh like just so he could make the song to go on top of it. I was like, well, you know how plugged in you got to do that. <laughs> he definitely Come plugged in. Definitely plugged in. Yeah. And now we get to the the last song, Mortal Man. And this song, oh, like, uh, wait, this song, like, right, what, 12 minutes long? This song, like, 15 minutes, bro. This is the song right here that, when I, I, I don't remember if y'all told me this, but, or if y'all remember when I told y'all this, but when this album initially came out, I was hesitant to listen to this album because I knew once I listened to this album, I wouldn't be the same ever again. And it was, <laughs> you wouldn't be the same. Oh, I would not shoot. be the same. I would be enlightened. Like I wouldn't just be Eric anymore. I would be Eric. Like I had, I had a purpose. <laughs> and so as dramatic as that might be, like listening to mortal man, listening to the way that is composed. And then you got that little break and Kendrick gives his speech, his, his little poem that's been kind of reciting throughout the whole thing. And then you hear Pac speaking like Kendrick's like, you know, I've always wanted to ask you this. And then you hear Pac speaking and it's all, you can't even tell that this is a pre-recorded interview or whatever. This feels like a live conversation. And the conversation is so it's so relevant to now. And I say now, this was back in 2017. But here we are in 2020, and it's still relevant. It's just like, it gives me chills almost. I don't know about y'all boys. Bro, hearing this, bro, we, we have to really track what's been going on. Like, he had Pharrell production and Pharrell on the song. Ron Isley on the song. Thundercat production, uh, Flying Lotus on the production, and now he has a Tupac recording on the album? Like, come on. Look, look. I'm glad I'm not the only one that appreciates this production right here, bro. Like, <laughs> somebody needs some credit. No cap. Bro, it just goes to show that, bro. Like, I think he said that initially he didn't have the recording, you know, like, when he first got it, but he... I think his mother, Tupac's mother, gave it to him. He said, she said that I wanted to give you something. I guess when he got back from South Africa. And Kish Lamar said that he didn't play it as soon as he uh, received it from her. But he said as soon as he got home, he played it. And he said it was recording of uh, Tupac answering questions that Kish Lamar was, like, it, it related to today. Like, everything that went on from, like, do you see yourself as, like, 
uh, opportunist or a natural born hustler? Or, you know, how do you feel about the state of nation right now? He says that I feel like the ground is going to collapse on the rich. It's going to gobble up all the rich and stuff like that. So, like, all these things are what Tupac said way back when. But all these quotes are still applicable and relatable to the, to this day. And I just think that it shows more about how in tune Tupac was with the world. Because like, a lot of people don't know, like, Tupac was really an activist and a rapper. Bro, Tupac said that he knew that he had a limited time on this earth. And that he made his music and his platform. He wanted to reach out to like the youth because he knew that they would be the catalyst to bring about change. Like he, he already knew. Like I feel like old niggas, like whenever they get in the office, like they already, you know, what I'm saying, like they're just figureheads at that moment. But change it always starts with the youth because they're the ones that can get out there and get those ideas going. Like my grandfather said, from the age of like 18 to 26, I think Tupac even said that too. Like that's when you're at your most powerful, and that's when you can like really be that catalyst to kind of shape the world on the image that you want it to be. Bro, yeah, I always... That, um, go ahead, Q. You said he always said that um that they take the will out of a man. I was just going to come with Eric. They said they take the will out of a man at around the age of 30. Like, you don't even want to fight no more. You just want to sit around and just accept for what it is. So, Eric, you definitely hit on the head when he said, like, you're at your strongest between, like, the age of 25 to, like, you know, 27 or whatever. Yeah, I always felt like he was, like, you know, you know, we always put Pac at this certain level. You know what I'm saying? And I always, I, I feel like Kendrick really looked up to Pac. You know, being that he was from the West Coast, so there's a lot of similarities that he could bring. But I feel like when he actually got this interview, he was really like trying to like put himself with his like hero per se. Because if you think about it, Pac's career was, was kind of going like how Kendrick's career is kind of going now. Like how he he's not just a rapper anymore. He's now an influencer a spokesperson for our people, low-key. Like, that's how, that's what Pac became, even if he didn't mean to, but that's what Kendrick, I think in this album, that's what he was saying, like, all right, I'm accepting it. This is what I am. I'm just going to go ahead and take the reins on it. Like, I got it. It was, it was a perfect to end the project. Like, it was just perfect. No doubt. And even he uh goes on to like even talk about stuff in the song like Sean was alluding to like how he had to accept the role. He even goes on since I want you to love me like Nelson. And he says like, would you still love me even if people or like even if the outside outside influence like the government, he said, with the government playing cocaine in my car, like, would you still love me if those 22, 25, 22 years occur? So like, Kendrick's pretty much saying that, look, it is what it is. Like, I am who I am. Like, they put me on, well, I accepted this role as, like, an influencer and, like, an activist for the community. So anything that the government tries to do from this point, like, you know who I am. But if you allow yourself to be, like, institutionalized, like, allow yourself to be corrupted by outside influences and, like, you know, things that really don't matter, then, you know, I want you to love me no matter what I did. You know, Nelson Mandela's, you know, served however many years in jail, but we still love him for who he is. Like, is he... Does, is he a bad person because he went to jail? No. You know what I'm saying? So, like, being wrongly convicted, you know, like, there's a lot of wrongly convicted felons in the in the prison system. But that doesn't really speak, speak on you know. Yeah, it really doesn't, like, speak on, like, you know, what is really happening about the person. Yeah, the character. Like, Rosa Parks went to jail. Is Rosa Parks a bad person? Martin Luther King went to jail. Is Martin Luther King a bad person? No. So we have to stop thinking that jail equates to bad. And then uh, one of the other things that we do, we get a conclusion or we actually get the the uh, poem that's been kind of repeating throughout the, its entirety of the album. And Q, I just had a question for you. One of these things I could never figure out, you hear him saying, like, I didn't want to self-destruct. The evils of Lucy was all around me. Like Lucy is. Is Lucy like that devil on your shoulder that's tempting him and stuff like that? Yeah, Lucy is Lucifer. So yeah, like, Lucifer. When he, okay. yeah, when, he, when he says Lucy, he's talking about Lucifer. So that's like a reoccurring theme. And I guess Kendrick, I kind of expands on like his own internal battles, like the devil and stuff like that, trying to like make him do the wrong thing always at the wrong time and stuff like that. So, yeah, if you don't know, Lucy is Lucifer. And there's a lot of Lucy's out here. Gotcha. Yeah. So, Q, what do you this, feel like this poem ultimately means to you? Uh, Mortal Man or the one that he another, makes a... the Another nigga. Bro, honestly... Honestly, I feel like that poem is, bro, it really encompasses everything that Kendrick had going on when it come on, 
Hold on, real quick. Hold on, real quick. My bad. My dad uh told me to get something, but <laughs> pretty much what that uh what that poem means is that another nigga like he's no different than any other man that has come before him. Like he's no different than Nelson Mandela. He's no different than anybody else that's come before him. And this song really like goes to like the whole struggles of like what he's been going through, like as a journey, like becoming famous. Like I went running for answers. So I came home. I found myself screaming in a hotel room. Like these songs are like placed in a way to like pretty much give you like a journey of him coming up and whatnot. And when you think about like the end of it, he says, I'm no mortal man. Man, I'm just another nigga. Like those are his self-doubts, like what he's trying to I guess, contemplate with himself about what his purpose is in life. You know what I'm saying? A mortal man is someone that, you know, obviously dies. So him saying that I'm no mortal man, like maybe he's alluding to he'll live on forever even if he dies, like on this, uh, on this earth, on this, you know, um, physical earth. But being the end of it, like him saying, like, man, I'm just another nigga, that kind of alludes to him saying, like, maybe I have doubts that I'm actually supposed to be this person that I'm supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? So, and then the poem after that, um, I think he calls it a caterpillar. He calls it a butterfly, but it's actually something that his friend like wrote him, and that pretty much encompasses like the whole meaning behind the whole Tipping butterfly phrase. Uh, he goes on to explain like what a butterfly and what a caterpillar uh, mean, and like the differences between the two, and actually the cocoon that a caterpillar goes into and actually comes out to be a butterfly. So, the caterpillar is somebody that encapsulates themselves in their environment. You can say call it Compton. You can call it uh, your school system. You can call it your neighborhood or whatever you want to call it. And the caterpillar never sees the true potential until he becomes cocoon in his environment. So he has to accept himself and like has to take in everything that's around him and calculate himself into it. And a lot of, I don't know like how many people know, but a lot of caterpillars don't end up becoming butterflies. Like a lot of caterpillars either become butterfly or they die in their cocoon. You know what I'm saying? Like all caterpillars don't become butterflies. But Kendrick Lamar is the butterfly that came from a caterpillar. Like he's actually the one that was able to, you know, make it out of his cocoon, Compton, his environment. So all niggas don't make it out the hood. All niggas don't make it out the hood. Some of them do, some of them don't know. But and what, the caterpillar, you said what? I'm sorry, I was just it, it just clicked in my head. If I don't say it now, I'm gonna forget it. But Kendrick was talking about how, like, you know, he was talking about like if I'm trying to court a law. Uh, if the industry cut me off, if the government want me to dead, plant cocaine in my car, like it almost sounds like Kendrick is a little scared, like for his life. It sounds like somebody's like plotting for him in a sense, like you know how Michael Jackson, like uh, that nigga gave us Billie Jean. You say he touched those kids, like when shit hit the fan, is you still a fan? Like it almost seems like Kendrick's kind of watching over his shoulder because he feels like somebody might try to bring him down because he's at this stage of like such like of influencing uh, the youth in a sense, like that he could be the one to start a revolutionary. Like, he's accepting that role, but I feel like he's also acknowledging that they might be coming for me, which is kind of scary to say, because Pac was on that same vibe, too. I mean, if you, if you really think about it, Pop Smoke was, uh, too, in some of his songs. Mm. You can really draw that comparison. I feel like when he says that is the when shit hit the fan, you still a fan. Like, when shit hit the fan, like, obviously that means chaos. So, like, when chaos happens, are you still going to be a fan of me? Like, it's almost a double, it's a the double meaning, like a fan in the literal sense that if you was to throw shit up into a fan, like, it would go everywhere. So that's chaos. And fan being like, are you still going to be a fan of me if everything goes wrong? Even Michael Mix said it, like, Michael Mix knew he was a dying man. I think he said it in one of his interviews, I'm a dead man, and I know it. But Absolutely. Means, Him, Martin Luther King, all of them. Mortal man. Mortal. That's how you look at it. Got to look at it, honestly. And then, bro, the whole to pimp, like, phrase, like, to pimp, like, means, like, take advantage of something. Like, when you think of pimp, they take advantage of, you know, the women that they pimp or, like, wherever they pimp. So, to pimp a butterfly, he's alluding to the caterpillar pimping a butterfly and, like, make him do what he wants to do. Or you can look at that as, like, pimping as, like, making the best of your situation. Like, you know, pimps also, uh, they make the best out of anything. Like, they're always, like, trying to find a hustle. They're always trying to find a way out. So, to pimp a butterfly could mean that uh, the butterflies getting taken advantage of, or the butterflies also using the best of the situation to become the butterfly. You know what I'm saying? So this album, that really what the album encompasses. Like you see, like all throughout the journey, like him going through Compton, him having self hate, him realizing self love, all those things come together in this poem. That 
well, both poems, uh, another nigga, and also the poem that he read to Tupac at the end of it. And Tupac, you know, um, doesn't answer his question at the end. Like, you just hear Tupac go out and King Lamar's calling his name. So, honestly, I feel like that ending in itself is, like, symbolic because, you know, we always try to find an answer from other people. Like, you know, everybody doesn't have to answer for us. Like, it's sometimes we have to go through these things for ourselves to really understand, like, what is the meant for our journey because no one else can walk in our shoes, you know what I'm saying? They can give advice but they can't answer every single question that we may have in regards to our life because it's our life that we're living. So I feel like that in itself, that um, not, that Tupac not answering his question at the end is kind of like, Kendrick, I did it. Martin Luther King did it. Malcolm X did it. Now you have to do it. I can't tell you how to do it. I can tell you what I did when I messed up, but I can't tell you how to live your own life the way you mean to the people right now. It's a different time, a different age. So what I did back in my day might not work for now. You know what I'm saying? I feel that. Right. Hey, man. I really feel like we really deep dive into this album, but we really, we gotta, we gotta give the people what we, what they're here for. Q, ah, uh, wait, I'm gonna wait for you. I'm gonna go with Eric first. Eric, what do you rate this project? Um, I would give it a four out of ten. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> Bro, the laptops was about to shut off just now for no reason. <laughs> no, I feel like this album is a cinematic, um, even a, a written masterpiece in itself. I have to applaud the articulation of Kendrick to speak about humankind, the nature of uh, Black people, oppression, like all these reoccurring themes that we see played out today and the relevancy of this album. I feel like it would be an injustice if I gave it anything less than a 10 out of 10. So this is a uh, perfect album, in my opinion. Q, you want me to take it before you give your final remarks, or you want me to take it? I mean, I don't really got nothing to say other than it's a perfect album, 10 out of 10. That's really all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> I really got, you I, said I, I've been I saying this. Broke down. Bro, I broke down everything I had to break down during the beginning. If you weren't listening, then I guess if you want to waste it in, and for my Bro. opinion, it's a 10 out of 10. Look, I'm not trying to look. We're not trying to sit here and just agree with each other because at the end of the day, most of us we we look at music differently. Projects speak to us. Sometimes they speak to us the same way, but sometimes we we always take different things from it. But I think that it would be who of us if any of us sit here and act like this is not a masterpiece that this is not probably one of the greatest albums of our generation. I'm gonna say that, like, regardless of whoever think I'm crazy or nothing like that. To Bimba Butterfly, it, it deserves its credit. I don't want it to be, I don't want us to wait too late or something could happen where we don't have somebody here no more. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like a lot of times we give people their flowers when they're dead. Like, nobody ain't gonna be able to smell their flowers when they're dead. So, we really need to give, even though Kendrick gets the, the accolades and the praise, you know what I'm saying? But, like, if any other artist dropped a project like To Pimp Butterfly, it would be, it, it wouldn't be the same. Like, People give to people butterfly credit, but I just feel like it doesn't get the credit. The credit is still, you know what I'm saying? It just doesn't get the credit deserved completely. That's just me. So what do you rate the album then? Oh, I, I already told you, I think it's perfect. <laughs> I think it's a perfect album. It's not it's not my favorite Kendrick album, but like I said, uh I think I said this on the Good Kid Bad City episode or the uh Yeah, I think I said it on the previous episode. This project is probably the greatest empowering black people project of all time. Like it's it's up there, you know what I'm saying? Like from front to back, it takes you to a, a place, you know what I'm saying? Uh, look, if you haven't listened to Pimp Butterfly, take your time, you listen to it with look, twist up something, you know what I'm saying? Sip on something, get right, go deep dive, listen to the album. You won't regret it. And even on top of that, it'd be an injustice on my end if I didn't address this. You know, Kendrick did release a little uh, demo tape, Untitled Unmastered. Uh, they were said to be Lucy's um, that didn't make the uh, final cut to Fort to Pimple Butterfly. All I'm going to say is that if you were intrigued and you have a thirst for more, you want to hear Kendrick articulate more, listen to Untitled Unmastered. He speaks about free thinking, uh, not like conforming to the institution that the government has in place. He speaks about mankind, uh, Human nature. It's just like a lot of reoccurring uh, themes that you see in from To Pepper Butterfly Mastered. Um, like the title does say, like it isn't unmastered, it's very raw. 
Kendrick wanted to give you that just so you could really kind of like be in the same place that he was. Like you'll hear like a whole bunch of sonics going on and stuff like that. Like I said, it's not mastered, but it definitely still gives that same feeling. So while you listen to the Pimp a Butterfly, follow that up with Untitled Unmastered to really put that period at the end of your sentence. Sheesh. Shoot. I pretty I think that pretty much wraps it up, ain't it, fellas? Hey, yeah, we just got uh, one more. It's a uh, damn. Yes, sir. Uh, stay tuned for that final uh, pack of the four pack that we're going to give y'all. Um, hope you enjoyed this one up until this point with uh, Section 80, Good Kid, Mad City, and Tipping Butterfly. Um, y'all stay easy out there. Uh, stay woke. Uh, get in your communities. Vote. Please vote. We need y'all to vote. And uh, Please. Just stay prayed up out here. Y'all stay safe. It's your boy Marquise Chusav signing out. All right, man. Y'all boys be easy. I really hope y'all enjoy these packs. Uh, like, listen, share, share. You know what I'm saying? Share. I'm going to say that one more share time. Share again. <laughs> <laughs> but, nah, I appreciate y'all, man. Really hope y'all enjoy these packs. Uh, but other than that, y'all boys holding it the road. Yeah, it's your boy Easy. And like everybody was saying, just to reiterate it, um, you know, do all that stuff. And while you're at it, let us know what you think about some of these albums. Like, what are some of your favorite songs? How did it resonate and speak with you? Um, whatever your opinions are, feel free to share. We're all the community here, and we definitely want to keep that circle growing so we can kind of get your take on it. You know what I'm saying? Music matters. You matter. And if we're wrong, we, tell us. Which we're not, but you feel free to express yourself. <laughs> but it's your boy Easy signing out. Peace. <laughs>